So as I mentioned, this is week two of our three-week sermon series. Uh, Next week is Celebration Sunday. That's when we all make our financial commitments for the coming year. I do trust that you've received your stewardship mailing and are prayerfully considering what your giving will be for 2022. As you might imagine, every congregation uh, faces some tough headwinds right now with the ongoing disruption of the pandemic. It's going to take all of us to ensure that Christ United remains strong, and I want to thank you in advance for uh, taking that seriously. Throughout the season, we're working from this definition of uh, stewardship, the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. In Christian theology and practice, when we talk about stewardship, we're talking about the careful and responsible management of our money, our time, and our talents, specifically as it relates to the congregation that we call home. And so throughout this series, we're exploring our mission statement here at Christ United and thinking about how that mission statement connects with each of us personally. So last week we talked about loving God. Next week we're going to talk about transforming lives. This week we're talking about something that truly is in the DNA of our congregation, something that our congregation is in fact uh, known for both here in the Plano community and in the North Texas Conference of the United Methodist Church. Before my wife and family and I moved here to Christ United, uh, we very well knew the reputation that this church has for serving others. And so I want to start today with the, the what. What are serving others ministries? As you know, we talk a fair amount about serving others around here for good reason. The scope and the depth of our serving ministries is just really an integral part of who we are as a community of faith. Uh, Now, if you have recently um, become a Methodist, if you grew up in another tradition, you may have heard serving others described as maybe missions or uh, mercy ministries. It's all the same. And if you've been around Christ United very long, you know that there is not a time of year when our congregation is not actively engaged in a wide variety of serving ministries. Or to put it another way, uh, we always have something going on here, some missions activity through which Christ United serves our community and our world. So for example, uh, just this week, our Vision of Light team was set up in several of our classrooms. You may or may not be aware of the work of the Vision of Light team. Uh, Volt, as it's known, we're Methodists, we have an acronym for everything. Uh, Volt is a cool acronym, and it's, uh, that's a ministry that collects and cleans and catalogs thousands of pairs of eyeglasses. That was a long table in a couple of our classrooms. All of those little bags are eyeglasses. And then they travel to places far and wide to provide glasses for Uh, those in need. Our Volt team is a full-service operation complete with an optometrist to give people a proper prescription. They've taken uh, trips all over Central America. They've been to Panama and Costa Rica and Guatemala and Belize. Next year we hope to go to Honduras. They've been to Cameroon and Africa. They also travel domestically to places like Oklahoma City and Dulac, Louisiana. For more than 10 years now, our Volt team has been serving others. If you are part of Christ United, you're a supporter of this life-changing ministry. Another example, uh, we've adopted two schools in Plano ISD. One we've uh, 
been in a relationship with for a long time, Dooley Elementary. One is new this year, Frankfurt Middle. We provide uh, volunteers to mentor students. We, we support the teachers and staff in a variety of ways. We sponsor a Christmas market at Dooley so that the kids have a chance to give their, their family uh, gifts at the holidays. Speaking of the holidays, we're just a few days away from the start of our fall food drive and Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving basket ministry. Each year, members of our congregation provide meals for over 250 families at Thanksgiving. It's an easy way to get involved in serving others, especially for families with children and youth, because when you participate in the, the fall food drive and the Thanksgiving basket ministry, you're part of this very tangible, easy to understand and explain way of serving others. For the men in our congregation, we have a men's service group that gathers every first Saturday uh, for, of the month for breakfast. There's this time of fellowship and prayer with a terrific group of guys. Uh, and then they head out on projects to help home, homeowners and shelters in need of assistance with light construction projects and uh, yard care needs, that kind of thing. Um, I could go on and on and on like this. I'm going to give you a few more examples. We have a sandwich blessings ministry which provides food to our neighbors who are experiencing homelessness. We have a disaster response team that cleans up and rebuilds after natural disasters. Our old house on the corner ministry, which is a signature ministry of our church that many of you are very well aware of, uh, has evolved into the rebuilding faith team. We have something called Project Hope. We got a video about that here shortly. We have an annual, seriously, I keep going, a veteran donation drive that provides toiletries and essentials for the VA. Uh, we helped launch the Plano Overnight Warming Station in conjunction with other churches and businesses and civic organizations that provide shelter for those in need on the coldest nights of the year for those who need it. I'm looking at Janet Gramone, who's in the balcony. She recently retired as our uh, Director of Serving Others Ministries after 18 years. It took her two full years to explain to me all that we do around here. Did I do all right on that, Jenna? That's, I mean, it's a little partial list, though. It's just a partial list. Um, I could go on and on. In answer to this question, in what ways is our congregation making a difference in the world? Um, I, I was able to get that picture of Volt just because they happen to be on campus this week doing their work. The scope of our serving ministries uh, is really quite remarkable. And if you call Christ United home, you need to know that you help make possible that long, long list of our serving others ministries in specific ways that I'm going to come back to shortly. For now, what I want to turn our attention to is the question of why we serve others. Now listen, we're all uh, good people, and so we serve others because we want to be good people. We want to be, um, we want to give back to society. I get that for sure. But also, uh, as Christians, and specifically as Christians in the Methodist tradition, we have a theological reason for doing all this. It has something to do, of course, with that fellow named Jesus. And so we're going to read a story from Mark's Gospel. Uh, this is one of the lectionary texts for this season. You may have heard it before. It's a great uh, passage, chapter 10 of Mark's Gospel, verses 35 to 45. I'll just go ahead and read all of it right now. So listen, friends, for the word of God, as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the evangelist Mark. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said to them, What is it that you want me to do for you? 
And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, the other ten, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What's in it for me? I mean, that's essentially the the question that James and John seem to be asking in this passage. And while Mark tells us that the other ten disciples uh, react indignantly to their question, I have to wonder if they're not actually mad at themselves for not asking the question first. (laughs) It had to have crossed their minds at the very least. We've left our old lives behind us. We've left everything to follow you. We've given up everything to follow you, Jesus. What do we get out of this? Because it's, it's part of the human condition, I think, that our, our first consideration under most circumstances is what's in it for us. Now, mind you, I'm not being judgmental here. I'm just being descriptive because we're all in the same boat, I think. Following Jesus comes with some significant expectations. We're called to do this very countercultural thing, sharing our time and our talents and our money, two of which, our time and our money, are finite resources, which means however much we give of both of those, our time and our money, uh, we are being sacrificial in order to be a disciple. There are lots of ways that we could spend our time and money. There are lots of worthy uh, other endeavors that could use our talents. Why spend our time and money? Why use our talents on on this discipleship business? Now, the way Mark tells it, James and John uh, ask for two specific places of honor in heaven. That's probably going a little too far, for sure. But I do sympathize with the fundamental anxiety underneath their question, because I think it's a question we all have to wrestle with as well, You've asked a lot of us, Lord. What's in it for us? Well, it seems to me that Jesus uh, answers that particular anxiety in the last verse of our reading this morning. Uh, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Some scholars believe that this verse is, in a sense, uh, the point of Mark's theology, the summary of Mark's particular interpretation of the ministry of Christ. In Jesus' day, that word ransom was a technical term used for the money paid to purchase freedom for a slave. And this, this metaphor of captivity um, 
And the promise of freedom is a prominent one in Christian theology, as I'm sure you know. Jesus obviously uses it here in Mark's gospel, and the Apostle Paul, perhaps most clearly in his letter to the Romans, says that before we put our faith in Christ, before he becomes our Lord, we are captives. He uses the word slaves to a life of sin, a life of selfishness, a life of darkness, and ultimate meaninglessness. That's all before Jesus becomes the priority in our life. But then, uh, once we put our faith in him, trusting the power of his incarnation and his ministry and his death and resurrection, Christ frees us from that captivity. In fact, our freedom in Christ both releases us and empowers us for a life of meaning and purpose and, and promises us eternal life when our days here are complete. That is what's in it for us. Once we're clear about that answer, we're called to live in response to God's grace and to ask what I think is uh, the better and ultimately more practical question now that we're, we've been given our freedom in Christ, how then are we to live? And part of the genius of Jesus here, part of the reason that that scholars, many scholars anyway, think that our scripture this morning is the crucial passage that explains the point of Mark's gospel is that Jesus, in responding to the, the wrong, if understandable, question that James and John ask, in answering that question, in responding to that question rather, he answers the question that they should have asked. <laughs> How are we to live in response to God's grace? Well, the answer he gives is by following his example and living a life of service. In other words, why do we serve others? Because Jesus did, and probably more importantly, because Jesus tells us to. And the good news for all of us who uh, call Christ United our church home, all of us who consider this our church family, is that we're a congregation that has always taken seriously Jesus' expectation that we serve others. As members of this congregation, we have the, the chance to participate in service in at least three important ways. First, of course, is through our prayers. And I know this sounds like a, an obvious point. We should be praying for our congregation every day. But maybe there's a, a specific serving ministry that's uh, especially important to you or that resonates with you especially. And if so, then I would encourage you to pray for that particular ministry every day by name, whether that's Volt or Project Hope or PALS or uh, whatever else really touches your heart. We can pray for its leaders. We can pray for the, the volunteers who do the work. We can pray for the donors who make it possible. We can pray for all those whose lives are touched by that particular ministry, even if we are not able to volunteer for that ministry we are able to pray. And of course, that brings me to the, the second way that we serve others, through our participation. Every one of our Serving Others ministries depends upon the volunteers who devote their time and talents to actually doing the work. No matter what you're good at, uh, no matter how much time you're able to give, no matter when you're able to volunteer, I promise you that Serving Others ministries uh, not only needs your help, but can make it work in your schedule. Jana made sure of that during her long tenure as our director of serving others. And the best way to start your journey is to reach out to our new director of serving others ministries, 
Lisa Riazzi, she and her team, which includes Betsy Crawford and Amber Orr, can help you find your place. Which brings me to the third way that we serve others, and that is through our tithes and offerings, through our financial giving to the church. It's our tithes and offerings that pay for staff expenses, the staff who recruit and support volunteers, who do the prep work so that the volunteers can succeed, who manage the relationships with the various community organizations with whom we partner. I know that we know this intuitively, but it bears repeating, especially this time of year, our tithes and offerings pray, uh, pay for the buildings where so much of this work is done. It pays for the communications that advertises and celebrates these ministries. It pays for all the infrastructure that is required to do the work of the church. Because while it's true that many generous donors help underwrite particular needs for each specific ministry, it's also true that all of our ministries are only possible because our church remains a vibrant and strong and transformational presence in our community. And that, as you know, depends upon us. So, how do we serve others as members of this community of faith? Our membership vows say it's through our prayers, our presence, our gifts, which means giving, our service, and our witness, all of which are required to be the church. There's a fascinating story about uh, Henry Ford, the guy who founded, of course, the Ford Motor Company. Uh, Ford was on vacation once in Dublin, Ireland, uh, when he was asked for a donation for a new orphanage that was being built. He was a wealthy man. He had uh, many philanthropic interests. One of those interests was helping children in need, and so he promptly pulled out his checkbook, and he wrote a check for 2,000 pounds, however much that was worth, 100 or so years ago. And his generosity uh, made headlines in the local paper, but the amount of the check was incorrectly reported to be 20,000 pounds. <laughs> And the director of the orphanage was mortified. The last thing that he wanted to do was to embarrass his famous benefactor. And so he called Ford at his hotel. Ford had not, left, not yet left uh, Dublin. He said, sir, I will, I will call the editor straight away. I'll, I'll tell him to correct the mistake. Ah, there's no need for that, replied Ford, taking out his checkbook once again. I'll, I'll give you a check for the remaining 18,000 pounds. Uh, but only on one condition. When the new building opens, I want this inscription on it. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Quoting Jesus' famous words in Matthew 25. Because you see, yes, Ford was generous, and yes, of course, he had the money to give. But he also had his theology straight, using his financial resources not just to serve others, but also to give glory to our servant Lord. So friends, at the halfway point of our stewardship season, I am truly grateful for all the ways that we have to serve here at Christ United. I'm, I'm grateful to be part of a church that takes seriously Jesus' teaching and example. And like you, I look forward to what the coming year of ministry will bring. Amen.